It was a great experience. It was so fun to see my mother raz my son. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, we had some great snacks, so uh, that was fun too. Hope that you had a good afternoon last week. Uh, also on Friday night, in the midst of uh, dealing with no heat in a couple of rooms and getting uh, space heaters, we pulled off a night to shine. Our shine through uh, was awesome. It was really, really cool. Even though it was really, really cold, we had a wonderful time and just based on the expressions of people who came, I think we blessed a lot of people. We had uh, the mayor of Rolling Meadows uh, with us that night and uh, anytime I would check in with him, he was like, I just can't believe their responses. They're so excited about this event and he was so encouraged by that. So I just want to say, whoa, 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 back up. I just want to say thank you to all that helped out with that. Um, We had amazing volunteers. If you decorated a car uh, for that evening, um, thank you for doing that. If you just showed up to help hand out pizzas or to just be part of the crowd or to set up or clean up, thank you. It was awesome. This was our team, uh, those that showed up, and of course we feature our princesses in the middle of our team. Uh, It was a great night. You can go to the next slide. Uh, from the time they stepped out their door uh, to a red carpet experience so at many of the homes since we didn't have like a red carpet for them to enjoy walking into the ball. At many of the homes, they did the sidewalks as the red carpet. Uh, Sharon Rickerson is amazing with her passion uh, for those with disabilities, for her passion for our Caring Friends ministry, and just for her work to pull this off. And then we just saw some fun, excited people dressed up as kings and queens of the ball. Uh, We had some of our very own participating. So, Britton Rickerson, did you have a good time? Woo-woo! Yes, she brought her crown. All right. So, so Britt danced the night away. And uh, if you haven't gotten to meet Mitch Brandon, he's around our fellowship more and more. And... Uh, they just had a great night that night. Um, Michael Markfart, uh, he, he went around the circle, I don't know, three, four times? Yeah, four times. He was loving that. I have a good picture of him with our princesses. That was fun. Uh, and, and the whole night was just a great evening uh, from handing pizzas to people that were just thrilled to get it to this trolley party bus of young ladies that even though most of them were sleeveless, had to get off the bus to get a picture. Uh, It it was just a really wonderful time. We had uh, Rolling Meadows High School students here, uh, their Palm Squad, their Spirit Squad cheering them on. We had the police uh, department here uh, just adding to those festivities. We had a number of other organizations. And I I just want to put in a plug for Rosati's Pizza um, they gave us a ton of pizza, and so there's a new one. Just You can walk across the parking lot and get Rosati's Pizza. I would just encourage you to support that local business because they were excited to partner with us and uh, excited to be part of our neighborhood. And then uh, Comet, um, I don't really need to sell them. If you've ever had Comet, you've been there more than once. Um, but even though they're closed, they uh, figured out how to get us a bunch of gift cards that we added into the gift bag. And um, so, yeah, just local businesses that have 
been a real encouragement to us and that are anxious to be a part of things that we're doing here, um, and I think more than just for the publicity. So um, some good partnerships there. Um, Our partnership with Clearbrook just continues to grow and deepen, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, just being that part of the community that we can really minister and bless people. So um, at the end of the night, everybody was crowned kings and queens. And uh, you, might, you might ask, why do, we, why do we do this thing in February? Um, I think because Tim Tebow lives in a warm place and had no idea of, you know, feet of snow on the ground. I don't know. But I think it's about Valentine's Day. We put it around Valentine's Day because we want to communicate uh, God's love to these special people. And uh, today's Valentine's Day. I hope everybody's aware of that. Happy Valentine's Day. I just want to say I love you. Uh, I'm glad that some of you are wearing red. I didn't get that memo, nor did I have that thought. Um, Now I do. And... Wish I would have dressed differently, but hey, thanks for doing that. Uh, anybody already gotten a Valentine? All right, we got some work to do. That's good. All right, uh, it's Valentine's Day, if I didn't mention that already. Um, so happy Valentine's Day, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're joining us on the live stream if you're at home. Uh, frankly, today was a hard day to walk out the door, because uh, at least when I got up, it was negative 22 wind chill. Uh, it's a little warmer now, but whew, that's cold. Well, hey, we're in a series that I've entitled On Target, and, and I'm just encouraging us to consider, hey, are we on target? Because uh, as God's people, like, that's his desire for us, that we would be on target. And, and not really just... Uh, for his glory, like he knows that that's where we find joy is when we're walking in step with his spirit as we're being about the business of the kingdom. And, and I know um, I, I used this phrase uh, June 5th or June 7th of 2020 uh, when we had uh, kind of our first in-person service. We pulled into the parking lot. You remember that? Seems, it seems like a long time ago, and yet it doesn't seem that long ago. Time's been kind of weird in 2020. Uh, but I said this, when, when, when we come to various issues, when we come to talking about are we on target with things, I said this, here's what I've come to know about our fellowship. We represent a wide spectrum of opinion on any issue. Our best path forward is to have robust biblical conversations about what Jesus' opinion is and how we can better live that out and how we help one another become more like Jesus. So I I just want to reiterate that. Our our best path forward on on really checking to see if we're on target, on getting on target, is not even to simply come on Sunday morning and listen to me. Um, that's not the thing that will move us forward best. Now, I hope that from the word of God, I can declare it well to you, that it will encourage you, that it will convict you, that we'll, we'll grow together as we look at the word of God, as we're gathered together. But my hope is that we're having robust conversations about the word outside of Sunday morning. That we're actually getting together, that we're calling one another, that we're spending time with each other. And I know that that's been really, really difficult for months and months and months now. 
But I hope that we're making the effort to have good conversations about what's going on in the world with Bibles open. That's so important that we're grounding our conversations in the Word. And then having this understanding and really affirming, this is one of our shared values that we're looking at, but, but really affirming the truth of Christ. Okay, so what's, what's true? What are we really talking about here? And how does Christ view the things that we're being confronted with right now? And are we having conversations affirming, okay, if this is true... And not only about the situations that we face, but about who we are. Like, are we affirming each other's identity in Christ as we have these conversations? In word and in attitude, are we just going, wow, you are a saint. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are called. You are righteous. And I want to affirm that in you, even as we might be disagreeing about an issue coming to the scriptures together to say, hey, how should we see this? Because we need to look at how Jesus sees this. So are we on target? As we come to these shared values, you know, I have some temptations that kind of pull me as I present these to you. Um, one, I think I have a tendency to go, well, can we just talk about the easy and beautiful things? Can we, can we just talk about who we are in Christ and, and then encourage each other to affirm one another in that? And I go, I hope that we can. I hope that we grow in that because the more that we spend time talking about our identity in Christ, the more I've realized that, that we don't have a deep understanding or application of those truths. That's not our default about how we see ourselves for, for many of us, and not just us, but in Christendom at large. I, I think we have a, a fairly weak understanding of who we are in Christ. We haven't really grasped those truths and allowed them to penetrate our hearts. And so I hope that we grow in that through this series because that's so important. Uh, I, I feel the pull to just convince you that these values are important. Okay, we affirmed these in a constitution a year ago, and, and now we're going, really? Do we need to look at the constitution very often? It's kind of a document that we have that we put in a file, right? No, I want to I keep these in front of us, and I, I feel like, oh, I want to convince you that these are important things. But oftentimes when I have that feeling, I know that I come across as frustrated or unloving. And I don't want to do that because I love you all. I, I, my heart is so for you. I love working in this place. I love being part of this church. I love being connected with you as people. And so I don't want to be frustrated or come across as unloving. And so I don't want to work hard to convince you that these are important things. I'm just praying that the Spirit, as we look at the Word together, will convince us of these things and grow us in these things together. And, and then I have a temptation to want to uh, portray just an expertise. Because I think as we talk about these values, there's impact into issues in our world. As we talk about affirmation and how we see each other and how we encourage each other and what truths we declare about each other, there are implications that apply to the rest of the world and how we live in the world that we're in. And and I want to come across as an expert in that, but frankly, I'm not. 
the more that I study the issues that we face right now, whether that's a pandemic or racial tensions or other things that are going on politics, the more I go, I don't understand. And, and the more I feel like I can't get hands around this. I can't get my head around this. There's too much and it's changing too quickly. And so what are we to do? Well, I think we're supposed to have robust conversations with Bibles open to go, hey, what do you think? What do I think? What does Christ think? And then how do we encourage each other to be more on target with what Jesus Christ thinks about these things? And so as we talk about affirmation, the thing that kept coming back to me is there are obstacles to our affirmation. There are obstacles that keep us from affirming one another and who we are in Christ. There are obstacles for the people of God at large in affirming one another. So I've just prayerfully been considering what are those obstacles, and I think 2020 has exposed many of them. I think 2020 kind of pulled the curtain open to go, hey, church, take a look at who you are. And so I'm hoping that we will do that courageously, boldly, understanding that we might see some things that we don't like about ourselves. But confident that there's grace, confident that there's mercy, confident that God can work in the midst of this and that he is working to make us the people he desires us to be. And so as I've just prayerfully thought about these things, uh, uh, really three things uh, came to the fore and then a a fourth that we're going to pray about at the end of the month. So last week we talked about our kingdom identity, that we're people of Christ's kingdom. And any other kingdom that kind of encroaches on that kingdom will begin to pull us away. And we can't serve two kingdoms at the same time. And so we have to make choices. And every time there's a new title that that tends to bring about a definition of your identity, we have to beware because that's a kingdom. Kingdoms define people. And so we can be defined by many things. But my hope is that we will be more and more defined by the kingdom of God. That as we've been crowned kings and queens joint heirs with Christ, that those realities of the kingdom would take deeper root in our hearts and that we would be on target, focused on the kingdom of God. Well, the the next obstacle, I think, is getting into some of the implications of the kingdom. And so here's my thought for today. As kingdom people, we're called to embrace and embody kingdom values in light of the good news of the king. Okay, so as kingdom people, we are brought into this kingdom of light. We're transferred from a kingdom of darkness, brought into this kingdom of light. That was last week. Now we're kingdom people, and we're called to embrace, to grab onto, and embody, to live out kingdom values in light of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the king. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, we'll land in Galatians today, but Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he articulates the gospel this way, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for for our sins in accordance with the scripture. So what the scriptures tell us is that everybody has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory, the standard of God. 
No one is righteous. No one is perfect. No one measures up. And so Christ came and died for sin because that is the penalty of sin. That he was buried, now Paul goes on, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I love these particulars. I love these evidences that give us confidence in the truth of this book. That Jesus died, that's a historical fact, and that he rose again and he was seen by all of these people, many of whom were still alive when Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He's saying, hey, you can go ask people about this. This is evidence, the truth of the gospel. It's evidence that Jesus is the king. So after he appeared to more than 500, then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Oh, I hope that we hear those words. I think that oftentimes we put the Apostle Paul up on this pedestal, And we go, I can never be like the Apostle Paul. But what is true of Paul is true of us in this text. Jesus Christ revealed himself to you. If you've come to faith in him, this is true. Jesus Christ revealed himself to you. Maybe that wasn't by knocking you off a horse. Maybe that wasn't a bright light. But somehow, through some means, Jesus Christ revealed himself to you, drew you to himself And then by his grace, completely changed your life. Now you go, I don't know, my life is still maybe a little bit the same as it was before Jesus. Well, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is able and he is carrying it on to completion. So we're all a work in progress. Even Paul was a work in progress. But it's by grace that we've been saved, that we've been brought into this reality of the King, Jesus, who died for us, who overcame sin and death, rose again victorious, and now sits enthroned at the right hand of God going, all right, my kingdom, here it is. Now, he sits at the right hand of God, and and he intercedes for us, but he taught us how to pray while he was on earth. While he walked in the flesh, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he said, well, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means you you are above all things. You are worthy to be praised. You are glorious. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Now, here's the thing. As kingdom people, Jesus Christ just said, as you're praying, you need to remember that you're people of the king, this hallowed God, people of the king, embrace and embody kingdom values. Because we're praying that that God's kingdom, the kingdom that Christ reigns in right now, would, would come about, would be seen, would be made visible, would be embodied here on earth. Man, we need help for that. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, that's such an important prayer to hear. But, but, but here's what I want you to hear this morning. 
the kingdom of God as depicted in scripture is God's desire for what he sees on earth among his people. As kingdom people who embrace kingdom values, who embody kingdom values in light of the gospel, in light of the good news, that you have been saved. That you've been transferred from this domain of darkness into this kingdom of life. Now we embrace and embody kingdom values. So what is the picture of the kingdom that we see throughout scripture? In the Old Testament, we see Abraham's seed. This is the promise that Abraham's seed will be a blessing to all nations. Okay, so from the very beginning, as God calls Abraham, the promise to Abraham is that through his seed, which Paul makes clear is Jesus in Galatians, which we'll get to in just a minute. Paul makes clear this is Jesus. Through Jesus, all nations are going to be blessed. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see the inclusion of non-Jews in the people of Israel. There are people that are not of Jewish descent that either by their observation of the Jews and they go, wow, these are a compelling people, they've stepped into, they've become proselytized, they've converted to Judaism. And so we see even in the people of Israel, this ethnic national group, we see other people being included. We see the inclusion of non-Jews in the lineage of Christ. Just read Matthew 1. It's incredible who's included in, in the genealogy of Jesus. And it gives us a clue of what God wants to see in his kingdom. Jesus' own proclamation in Matthew eight eleven: Many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be all of these people, and they're not going to be split apart. They're not going to be divided. They're going to be together. They're going to be reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the promise. This is the declaration of what the kingdom of God will look like. We can fast forward all the way to the end of Scripture to Revelation 7 and read in verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now, when I hear that, I go, I I don't have a concept of that. But um, thankfully, the Cubs won the World Series and um, gave us a little glimpse of what heaven might be like. Now, they're worshiping the wrong God. Okay, they're not, they're not de- de- declaring holy, holy, holy. But, but here's this great throng of people that was really hard for people to count. We had to estimate how many people do you think there were? How many square feet and how many people in square foot? We can do some math and figure it out. There was a lot of people. But John in the Revelation says, after, I, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The desired outcome of the gospel, this message of salvation, this good news of the king that he's bringing salvation, the outcome of the gospel is that God would claim for himself And for his praise and worship, a people of every nation, tribe, people, and language. God's desire is that all different kinds of people he created would come together in a glorious display of unity and diversity and worship him alone as God for his glory. 
That's the desired outcome of the gospel. That's, that's why Paul, he, he goes out and he begins preaching to the Gentiles because he's so convinced this isn't a Jewish thing. This is for the whole world. Which fits the message of the gospel, doesn't it? Everyone has sinned. The, every being, every human being who has ever lived, who has ever existed is a sinner. And Christ came as the payment for the sin of the world so that anyone who would turn to him in faith could receive salvation. The message of the gospel, the good news of the king, is that salvation is available for everyone, for every nation, for every tribe, for every people, for every language. This is a very diverse message It's a very diverse value in the kingdom. And this is the picture we see throughout Scripture. From God calling Abraham and promising a blessing to all nations to its fulfillment in Revelation where we see this massive throng of people standing around the throne. Now, when I hear or say the phrase, for his glory, I often want to just finish that or follow that with, and for our joy. Because here's what we see in heaven. It's, it's not just this uh, kind of depressed throng of people around the throne. No, there is this massive worshipful celebration. There is joy like people have never experienced in heaven. And here's what I'm convinced of. Anytime we are living in ways that bring glory to God we will experience joy, no matter our circumstances. Anytime we're living in a way that brings glory to God, we will experience joy, no matter our circumstances. And as people of the kingdom experiencing joy, embracing and embodying the values of the kingdom, affirming one another as we live together in this place, God works. But here's an obstacle to that. Diversity is a real problem. Diversity is a real challenge. Diversity, however we want to look at it, though I think there is a specific way we need to look at it, is challenging. But I think we need to look at what the kingdom value says about race and about the racial issues in our country. These are difficult subjects, and the more that I read, the more that I think, the more complex they become. And so I don't want to give any illusion that I'm an expert in this or that I have the most profound things to say. I don't this morning, but we're going to look at the Word, and I hope the Word will speak to our hearts. One of the books that I read, they were giving an example of um, how, how churches can move to be uh, more uh, inclusive around diversity. And even that word inclusive, we go, ah, what does that mean? And uh. But one church that I was reading about, they said, you know where we started? Because um, we had taken some of the steps that had been unfruitful. We had hired a pastor of diversity and, and, and we had really pushed for just, you know, more color in our congregation. And we had, we had really, you know, pressed on some things and, and it just didn't bear any fruit. You know where we started? We started by bringing kids into our worship service. 
I went, what? Wow, we're already on the road. Because we're already doing that. But doesn't that just kind of challenge our notions about who should be included in worship? We bring our kids in and they're distracting and they're, they're just a little bit challenging. We have to talk differently. We have to kind of behave differently. We, we're, we're seeing them worship in different ways because they're children and that's good and we can learn from that. And then I thought, wow, we just did the shine through. And it's another step to hopefully seeing people with differing abilities gathering together in this room at this time. Oh, that that could be. And yet I understand there are challenges to that. But one of the biggest challenges in the history of our country and the history of the church has been around race has been around the color of people's skin. So um, let's turn to Galatians. And and I I was just going to camp out in Galatians 3 because I I think this is a a pinnacle of of the book. I think it's a turning point where where Paul has said things about the gospel. And we're going to back up and see some of those things. But he comes to this place where he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, there's many implications about this, about the law and about Jew and Gentile. But, but at this crux, he's talking about there's things that divide us. There's things that look to identify us and to put us into categories that are divisive among you. He says the same thing in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 where he says, don't you get it that Christ came to break down this wall of hostility so that he can make one man out of the two, out of Jew and Gentile? So that there can be this one people united in Christ of every nation, of every tribe, of every people, of every tongue. And yet, Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in our country. I go, people of God, kingdom people, this ought not to be. And and so Paul just starts this way in chapter 1. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's here's the truth. Anytime the gospel is distorted, it begins to distort many other things. So distorting the gospel will distort our identity. Distorting the gospel will distort our understanding of kingdom values. Distorting the gospel will distort how we live out those values in the world. And this isn't an isolated event. This wasn't just a problem in Galatia. This is a problem everywhere. When the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, it is a hard word to accept as is. 
Our, our hearts, our flesh, they are not tuned to readily accept the gospel. That has to be a work of God in us by, our, by his spirit that we would actually receive the gospel. The gospel is not an easy thing to receive. So the temptation is, the pull in our flesh is, that we want to distort, we want to reshape the gospel to make it more fitting to our time and place, to make it more fitting to our environment, our context. But any time we begin to distort the gospel, it distorts many other things. In verse 2, I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So here's what's going on in Galatians. Galatia is this church that Paul had planted. He had shared the gospel there. It had taken root. It began to grow. And then some other people came in who wanted to distort the gospel. They couldn't receive the gospel as is. And so Paul writes this letter and he said, hey, you need to be aware when the gospel gets distorted, many other things get distorted. And so then he goes on to defend why his gospel, the one he preached, the one about Jesus Christ, is the right gospel. And he goes through his own background, and he goes through how Jesus changed his life. And, and, and then he can use himself as an example to say, hey, I lived the law better than anybody. I obeyed the rules better than anybody. And what I've learned is that doesn't justify me. See, the distortion of the gospel here in Galatia was that if, if you work hard enough, you can be acceptable to God. If you follow these prescribed rules, and what people were doing is they were taking what was important to them and making it the standard. That's a distortion of the gospel. And whenever we distort the gospel, things get distorted. So distorting the gospel to fit our practice or preference will distort everything else. And that's what's going on in Galatia. There's some people there that are like, we just don't really like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what our practice is, what our preference is, is obedience to the law. And that feels comfortable, and that feels right, and that's measurable, and that's, that's something that we can impose to control other people. And so they said, well, okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ plus, if you do these things. Anytime we distort the gospel, it distorts many other things. So jump over to chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles. This is the purpose that Paul's been given. He's been called to preach to the Gentiles so that this blessing given to Abraham to bless the whole world, all nations, would actually be fulfilled so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So the hope is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're given the Spirit, and it's in the Spirit that we become this unified people. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Once you make a contract, it sticks. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, 
and to your offspring who is Christ. So the gospel must remain centered on the person and work of Christ. That's where there's blessing. And anything that tries to distort that picture or change that picture or color that picture just a little bit distorts the gospel and affects all kinds of other things. So Paul reminds them of the picture. Well, what's the goal? What is the desired outcome of the gospel? That there would be this great people that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Which means that no matter what nation or tribe or tongue or people you come from, you can recline at the table with Abraham in the heavenly kingdom. So through our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been made a new people. We've been made new creations. We've been united together in Christ. For the desired end that there would be this people group that would embrace and embody kingdom values to such an extent that people would go, wow, look at all of those different people unified around Jesus Christ. That's when God gets glory. And I think that's when we experience great joy. And so again, I just look at the church and I go, there's... A problem. We're not a very diverse people. And you go, oh, wait, wait a second. There is diversity in the church. I go, yep, there is. There, there are churches of every nation, tribe, and tongue. But I don't think that's the picture of heaven. I, I, I don't think that there are sections where, oh, um, you're a little darker skinned, you're going to be in this section over here. Oh, you speak that language, you're going to be in this section over here. Oh, you're, you're fairer skinned, you're going to be in this section over here. That's not the picture that's painted of the kingdom of God as we stand around the throne of God. It is all nations, tribe, and tongue together. It's this radical mixture of diverse people that have come to understand a new identity in Christ. And that has become so primary that they can relate to one another in such intimate ways that they can worship God together. Now, we, we, can't, we can't do this on our own. But that's the picture. In, in chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When you think of family, when I think of family, I I, I don't think of varying groups of people. I think of togetherness. And, And here's the declaration of the gospel, is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought into this family of God that is supposed to connect together 
as family. And we do that by the work of the Spirit in us, not only changing our identity, but giving us the strength in our inmost being to embrace kingdom values and then working through us to actually embody kingdom values. So in chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, Paul says, And if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now, this is a really tall order, and I don't have answers this morning, which I know isn't helpful. But we are a predominantly white congregation in a predominantly white, though ever-changing, city in the suburbs of Chicago. And, and so it's, it's challenging. I know it's not even all on us. Like I, I have some black pastor friends and I, I think about, man, how could our churches actually come together? There's, there's different styles. There's different preferences. There's, there's all of these challenges. And, and yet I can't get past the desired outcome of the gospel is to see these people joined together in intimate relationship for the glory of God and for their joy. So I go, we're missing something here. We're, we're missing out on joy, people. And I want that for us. I want us to experience that joy. But there's some changes that have to be made in order to experience that. So what do we do? Well, here's, here's one challenge. I, I, don't know, I don't know where you're at with uh, the concept of white privilege or, or white superiority in, in any sense of that nature, but... I know that I've had more advantage because I'm a white person. Okay, I can just look at my life and I know that, that I've had more advantages as a white person. That's, that's just the reality. And, and I think if you look historically, um, you'll see that white people have always had more advantage. Now, that's not a rule across the board. I know many white people who have grown up with less privilege and less advantage. But generally speaking, white people have more advantage over uh, any other race or color. We are still the majority race or color in our country, in our city, in our church. And so I just think as the people of God who are white, there is a greater responsibility that falls on us to help bring about change. Now, historically, we've done that in rather arrogant ways, if I can be blunt with us. We've done that with, with uncaring means. We've, we've done that unsympathetically or ignorantly. And so I think the first step for us as the predominant majority in our congregation, in our city, in our country, is we have to become better educated. We have to become better aware. So my first challenge is to you, would you just read a book about race or race history or or racism? Uh, I've read six of them now. Um, uh, The Color of Compromise was the last one I read. It's a really interesting take on the church's role in this. 
And so maybe you've read one. I just encourage you to read another one because we have to keep learning. And then we have to have some conversations about it with Bibles open, affirming that we are in Christ and all that that means, but also that our brothers and sisters of a different color are in Christ as well. And that the desired outcome of this kingdom is that we'd all be worshiping together. Now, I am very thankful that we have some people of color in our congregation. I'm so thankful because we've already started that. We've already started this journey with people of color. But here, let me ask you to not do this. Would you not ask them all your questions? Okay, let's, let's figure out, let's do some homework, let's do some of our own research, and let's grow as white people in this regard. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that I'm saying that white people are bad. Or that white people are all racist. Okay, I, I'm just saying that in our history, privilege has been given and systems have been made and are real that have that have devalued people of color. And as the people of God, in light of the gospel, we're called to something different. So, read a book. Listen to a podcast. Expand your social feeds with uh, following people of color. But I think for our church, for our congregation, for our fellowship here in this building, we have a unique opportunity. And, and I know that like jumping on the bandwagon with Black Lives Matter is, um, forgive the term, the sexiest thing we could do. It's the most attractive thing we could do to, to, to get behind Black Lives Matter. Now, I think the organization is deplorable, I think it stands for so many other things. I think there's all kinds of mess and yuck and evil associated with that organization. So don't hear me say anything else. But black lives do matter. And when we just throw out the baby with the bathwater, we lose. But for our church, for our fellowship, for our congregation in our city, I'm not sure it's primarily focusing our energy and attention on black lives, though we have many of them in Rolling Meadows. But we have a Chinese congregation that meets in our building on a regular basis. Now, they haven't come back from the pandemic yet, but they are. They're going to. They'll be back in our building again. And I think we have a unique opportunity right now. I was doing some work upstairs this week because we're doing some things around Catch the Wave and we're, we're improving some things in their spaces too because you know what? They gave generously to Catch the Wave. And so we want to bless them. And I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. They're not in the space. We have freedom to work in this space and to make it beautiful for them so that when they come back, there's a difference in this building. And this week, as I was thinking about these things, it dawned on me, oh, that it could be that that would be true in our hearts and our attitudes as well. 
that when our Chinese brothers and sisters come back into this building, there would be a tangible, palpable shift in our expression of love and inclusion to them. Oh, that that would be that in this place, our fellowship with its limited diversity and their fellowship, frankly, with its limited diversity would actually come together in some ways. Now, many of them speak Mandarin. I don't know about you, but I don't. Okay, so that's a challenge we have to overcome, we have to work at. But whose responsibility does that fall on? Primarily, I believe, ours. So here's um, my second challenge. Read a book, that'll be helpful. Start to learn, that will be helpful. But would you begin to pray specifically about our relationship with our Chinese congregation? Would you begin to pray specifically for our relationship with our Chinese congregation? Now, there's many steps to this. Okay, It's not going to happen overnight. All of this is slow work, and I hate that, but it's true. All of this is slow work. But here's a step that um, you can hold me accountable to. Our elders have tried to meet with their elders on several occasions. We've done that. Um, I want to do that once before they come back into the building and once soon after they come back into the building. So you can hold me to that. And elders, you're in the room. Okay, that's my goal for us is, hey, we're going to meet with them once before they get in the building and once soon after they get in the building. And, And just begin to build relationships, deeper relationships with their elders. Okay, typically their pastor, Pastor Jun Jong Du, comes in every Thursday and walks by the office. And sometimes we chat, sometimes we don't. Um, My personal commitment is I want to chat more with him. He's an amazing guy. He left the business world, left his job, became a pastor, was never planning to become a pastor, got his master's from Moody, uh, went to seminary, like he showed me up. He was like, yeah, I can do this. I was like, I can't, so sorry, dude, you win. Now he's getting his doctorate. Like, dude, you're making me look bad. But he's an amazing guy, committed to Jesus. He loves his people. He loves the word of God. And oh man, there should be relationship. And there used to be more relationship with that congregation. We used to share children's ministry. And, and they kind of pulled back from that and we let them. I go, oh. We lost in that moment. There was some challenge. There was some struggle in that. I get it. We view child rearing completely different. But do we press into that? Do we learn about that? Do we come to that? So I'm I'm just going to leave you with this. We are kingdom people. You've been bought with a price. You've been delivered from the dominion of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light. You are kingdom people if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as kingdom people, you are called to embrace and embody kingdom values in light of this good and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And the desired outcome of that is a people that's knit together, that is radically diverse, and yet radically unified around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let us learn and grow and pray to that end.